All righty, we're about at that time, and so why don't we gather up? Uh, we're gonna, uh, you're at liberty to sit wherever you'd like, uh, but we're gonna predominantly be in this section. Our hopes had been to get uh, our smart board up and going, and we'd had it going uh, for a couple of weeks now, and it's decided to be finicky today. So uh, we'll see if we can pull that off or not. And uh, that's kind of how it works whenever you have a, a a conference scheduled that's focusing on the things of the spirit. It seems like if it can go wrong, it does go wrong. It's just a manifestation, I guess, of the spiritual war that probably swirls around. This past week, we had uh, weather issues. We had a pipe that burst. Gratefully, was able to be addressed quickly. Uh, some sickness has landed, and so. Uh, it just seems like you can go all year and everything just sails smoothly. And then the one uh, one weekend you want everything just to hit perfect and uh, everything seems to get challenged. And so uh, we're there a little bit. You may see Pastor Brad run back and forth here behind us. So pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, you know. So he, uh, he may be working on that just a little bit and uh, try to get that back up for us. So I apologize. All of us here are teachers and we love technology but the hard part is when technology doesn't work and you've been bound to it it almost makes you feel like oh, oh, oh my goodness can you preach the gospel now I mean I don't know so anyway glad you're here this morning this morning we set aside because I knew that Saturday morning uh, it might be a little more thin uh, people who are super interested in some areas will probably be the ones that uh, attend and I suspect that's why you're here and let me give you a little bit of the format this morning, and then we're just going to go after it. Uh, all three of us uh, that will be sharing today will take about 15 minutes, 20 max, and just kind of put some nuggets and ideas, some instruction out there. Again, for some of you, this may be new to you. For others, you may have been involved in prophetic a ministry of, of various types for years. Hopefully, it will be just a refresher and a rekindler. Uh, all of us have taught uh, college-level curriculum courses. All of us have written curriculum. We all have this curriculum. We could bury you in curriculum. Um, we're not going to do that. Uh, we we, we uh, even debated about handing you notes, and you would have had 100 pages of notes if we all handed out all our curriculums. So we decided instead of doing that, uh, that you all have pens, pencils, technology, uh, your phones, and uh, you, can, you can take whatever notes you want to take. But there were just some things we thought that we could put out sort of like uh, truth bombs or, or discussion starters, and then uh, you can ask the questions you want to ask. And we don't want to answer questions that might not be on your heart or mind, uh, but uh, wanted to give you opportunity to interact because there are things that uh, people may want to know that we can field. All we ask is that they are questions and not speeches, and, uh, you know, give everybody opportunity uh, to just jump in. If there are no, if, if no one has any question or anything they'd like to just say, hey, what about this, or have you ever thought about this, and we're just going to tag team here, and so we'll just keep it rolling, because like I said, we can march for months, but uh, we've only got a couple hours, but we want to give you opportunity to ask as well. So let's pray. I'm going to get it started. And uh, we'll kick it off today. Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather. 
Uh, Lord, we've set aside this weekend, and we put it right even front-loaded in the fast our local church is participating in. Because we believe that when we pray and when we fast, that there's something supernatural that can be tapped into uh, that can move back demonic forces, that can break strongholds and bondages. Uh, the prophetic voice and tense has an ability to uh, uh, ignite things, blossom things, birth things. And so all this converges together in this weekend. And so I'm praying, Spirit of God, that you would come and use it. Again, use our workers. We thank you for them. They've taken time out of their schedules, families, responsibilities to be with us. Thank you for those that have come because they're, they're wanting to learn no more, be instructed by the Word, be may, maybe mentored even a little bit more in this area. Uh, Lord, however we've gathered, why ever we've gathered, we're just praying that you'd make this really, really profitable time. We believe that, Lord, you're rekindling the work of the Spirit in the earth to prepare us. I, I think wineskins have something to do with it, to prepare the wineskin for this great outpouring that I just sense in my spirit. And we just want to be participants that can conduit that thing so that hurting, lost people can be touched by you. So uh, we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, again, this is going to be very eclectic and hodgepodge, but uh, I think it can be fun and interesting. And I want to start this morning uh, dealing uh, for the next 12 minutes uh, with the concept of forbidden communication. Uh, I just call it forbidden communication. Um, we were created by God to be what I call communication centers. It was always God's intent to be able to speak to us, to talk to us. Uh, we call that having a relationship with the Lord. Uh, in the days we live in and because of sin and, and uh, uh, just the uh, history of man, uh, most, most of our hearing of God's voice comes from this book, as it should be. I'm not contending that this book is not the bottom line when it comes to how we hear God's voice. But if you'll read in the book of Genesis, you'll see very quickly that there was no Bible, there were no scriptures, and God's just communicating with his creation. In fact, the interesting thing is, is that as you read Genesis, at least as I do, there's such a, 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 an ease to this communication. I mean, they're not only communication, communicating with God easily, but they're communicating with a serpent. I mean, have you ever read that account about the interaction with the serpent? And it's like, you know, no, the serpent's trying to put the deception on Eve, but it's like it's no big deal that this serpent's talking to me. I mean, that, to me, that was interesting. Like, I'm having this conversation with, I guess, a snake, and it's not that big of a deal. You know, to me, that would be a big deal if a snake was talking to me. But, but, uh, but it's obvious from the account that, that this was normal activity, this interaction, this ability to communicate with spirit beings. We were created that way. God created us to be able to hear his voice. Um, but the key to it is, and because technology has changed through the years, all of my old illustrations aren't nearly as good, so I'm going to have to figure out using new technology illustrations how this works. But for those of you that remember, and it still works, I guess, in cars, but but to turn on your radio, uh, you can select the channel that you want to listen to. And uh, I have a Sirius uh, uh, setup in my, in my vehicle because when we were going down the road, it was nice to have Sirius radio. And Sirius radio is great because you can hear all sorts of good gospel music. You can hear the same channel from one end of the country to the other end of the country. But I'm telling you, at the same time, there are things on Sirius that if you punch into that are just foul, uh, Howard Stern. I'll give you that for an example. So the issue is not the radio 
as, as to whether it's good, bad, you know, righteous or evil. The issue is what channel you're tuned into. And here's the key to forbidden communication. The prophetic giftings and psychic giftings can almost look incredibly similar to one another. But the difference is the channel that you're tuned into. And, and the key to the prophetic gifting is that, that you're keyed into righteous, righteous talk. Psychics work out of what we know now as a familiar spirit. Uh, I found it interesting. I've had people, and I, I agree, I went to go see this psychic, and they read my mail, and it's amazing what they were able to do. And uh, da, 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 da. Well, sure, it's a familiar spirit. And a familiar spirit is what is, you know, there, there are powers and principalities at work all around us constantly. Demons see what goes on in your life. And uh, whether or not they're messing with you, they can see what's going on in your life. And that demon who can watch what has gone on in your life can go to a psychic, figuratively speaking, whisper in their ear, tell you all sorts of things that are going on in your life. That psychic, based on a demonic communication, can begin to tell you things about your life that are right on target, or it seems, and it appears to be... uh, credible and it's credible in the sense that it's real but it's not credible in the sense that that is appropriate communication god in his word has outlined in numerous ways inappropriate or forbidden communication now uh, i we can go down through the list and and many of you know the list uh, already uh, but basically under the broad spectrum that's called divination in fact, how many of you remember reading in Acts 16, 16, there's this girl who in the Greek says uh, that she has a spirit of Puthan upon her. Uh, Python is where we get that. It's the snaky, snaky sounding word. It's the word that's translated divination. She had a spirit of divination upon her. And uh, she made her masters much money from her fortune telling. But she would follow Paul around, and this is what she'd say. She'd say, listen to these guys. These are servants of the Most High God. Now, is it not true that what she said was correct? See, that's the crazy part of that passage, is that it, it wasn't that she was saying anything in error. A lot of people judge prophecy just based on is it true or not. You've got to be careful. Psychics can be true in the sense of it's a fact. She said a fact. These are servants of the Most High God, and she also said you ought to listen to them. And, and the Bible says, interestingly, it annoyed Paul for many days. Even he didn't pick it up instantly. It's because some of these things are discerned by the Spirit. But after a while, he got a hold of what this was. It was a wrong spirit. Maybe, maybe the word seemed on target, but he, he finally picked it up. This is of a wrong spirit. And uh, then he was able to deal with it. He cast that, that spirit out, Puthan, and, uh, and of course her masters were upset, and it caused quite an uproar. Uh, in the city that he was in because uh, their, their livelihood was now undermined uh, because Paul addressed this psychic spirit. Um, and, and, and so these are the types of things that are forbidden. As believers, we need to be sure that if we want to hear from God clearly, it is important, at least in my estimation, that we protect ourselves from forbidden and inappropriate communication. I'm going to go through the list on, on a couple of things here. For instance... Uh, we don't communicate with the dead. It's called nec- nec- necromancy, is, is trying to seek and communicate with the dead. That's, that's out of bounds in the scripture. 
Um, it's out of bounds in the scripture to use uh, other means. Uh, let me go through just a couple quick uh, th- occultic means uh, with which to uh, communicate. I, I am not in any way, shape, or form comfortable with Ouija boards. Ouija boards have caused more problems in people's lives, kids' lives. It is not just a fun game. It, it is a portal to demonic activity. And, and we've we got to get back to just sharing these things. Uh, tarot cards, uh, people reading cards. Uh, God forbids this uh, from taking place anymore. These are all forbidden aspects of communication. Any communication that you want to have with the spirit realm outside of uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, ostensibly, uh, in fact, so far as I know exclusively, is forbidden in the scripture. Now, why is that? It is because you are opening yourself up to a place of control by a power that is hostile to the Lord. It's interesting what happens. You see, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but in the end thereof there is death, the scripture tells us. What happens is, is there pleasure in sin for a season? I could take you through this. The enemy always leads you down a path at first that seems really bright, neat, fun, and then all of a sudden you find yourself ensnared in bondage and in destruction. The key isn't where things start. The key is where they finish. And that's why you don't want to tap into, because I will assure you the enemy speaks things that you want to hear. Now, it's not that God doesn't have a good plan or a great purpose, but God's purposes are for his kingdom and his righteousness and his name. It tends, the enemy tends to work with your flesh, things that you want, uh, that, that, that uh, you know, your flesh might aspire to, and it puts you under a hostile uh, control that's not wanting you ultimately to do the work of the Lord. Um, it can produce rebellion. It can produce arrogance in you as well. Uh, you know, Saul had prophets that were gathered around him that would prophesy things that he would want to hear. They were called false prophets. They were even... They were even known as, as prophets of Yahweh, but they were, they were known as false prophets. And the Bible calls that, Ezekiel speaks a lot to this issue, they call it flattering divination. What happens is, is, is flattering divination is, uh, this is, this is an overgeneralization, but it's like, it's like, Dr. A, you know, you're, you're, you're incredible. There's no one like you. Uh, I mean, you, you, you know, you're destined for greatness and, and you're the cat's pajamas and, 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 and all of these things. And, and here's the deal. Uh, that's flattery. That's, you know, God encourages, but this is how God kind of sees us. God said, this is the, this is like a true word of the Lord. You ain't much, but I can use you. With me, says the Lord, all things are possible. So, so are you seeing how that kind of cuts a little, a little differently? And so flattering divination is, is what the scripture says is when it comes out. And, and, and I've had people say, well, you know, it's only God if it's a good word. It's a good word. Well, <laughs> what's a good word? I can go through the scripture and I can read to you prophecies in scripture that I don't know about you, but it don't sound that good to me. But it was the word of the Lord. So you got, so again, we're just, we're throwing some concepts out here because ultimately when things get weighed and it was mentioned last night and I'm going to stop when it's mentioned last night, when you receive a word, now, again, we know these gentlemen, I've known these gentlemen for years. I've watched their ministry for years. One of the reasons you receive ministry out of a local church is because there's a protection and a credibility and should be a track record because of the relationship the pastor has 
with other ministries that give you the sense of confidence that what you're about ready to be received is a pure, credible uh, word from the Lord. But, um, you know, I've watched people for years receive words, and the Bible never says that the word necessarily witnesses to your brain or witnesses or brings peace to your brain. The Bible says that it's to witness to our spirit and bear witness to what's inside of us. I've watched people receive words through the years and and, and they've looked puzzled and they don't get it and they, they go, they'll go, I'm not even sure that was a word from the Lord and, and maybe it was a spouse that was behind them that's looking going, absolutely true, absolutely true. So, so this, these things are spiritually appraised, spiritually discerned, but there is forbidden communication, astrologies, following your life by the stars, horoscopes. These, these things are forbidden out of the scripture. So, um, you know, it used to be cool to say, hey, what are you? I'm a Libra. I'm a Pisces. Oh, you know, if we got together, man, you know, uh, we'd make an Aquarius. I don't know what we do, you know, but um, I don't even get that stuff. But it's forbidden. Scripture says it's forbidden. All right. So, so, so walk away from these things in order that you can keep your communication with God uh, clean, pure, and you can hear his voice in, in more impactful ways. That's my 15 minutes right there. I'm going to start right there. Um, if you have questions, you can write them down. There's no such thing as a bad question uh, or, or something to feel embarrassed about. We will treat it with the utmost respect. But we want to field anything that gets tripped in you or triggered in you that you might have with regards to that. And so I'm going to make a pause for a moment or two. And if you have anything you'd like to input in this general area, or if you have other questions and you don't think we're going down that path, you're at liberty to ask that as well. We want to be able to, to share some things in that regard. If not, I'm going to hand it over, so you're going to have to be quick. Yeah, Wally. And gentlemen, you're, you're at liberty to jump up here uh, with me as well because um, you may have insight into this. I, how, how you begin to discern, which is why, and Pastor Joe went through some of the lists as to how we begin to weigh these things. Sometimes these things are spiritually appraised, and they can't be instantly spiritually appraised, but they're prayed upon and meditated upon. And, and, and then you have to determine whether or not the voice of the Lord came through that. Now, we want to be careful that everything that doesn't instantly bear witness to you, and, and Joe said it well, he said, sometimes you just kind of have to set it up on the side for a moment. Say, okay, Lord, I'm not sure I know one way or the other, but I'm not acting on anything. But if, if that's you, you'll obviously begin to, to show me some things as to, you know, its reality and that. Um, can a true prophet begin to speak out of uh, a wrong spirit, I suppose, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, so I suppose there can be 
a convolution that takes place. I'm sure the flesh can get involved. We're dealing with human beings uh, in this regard. Even, even under the most uh, best intent circumstances, I suppose somebody could be spoken presumptuously. Uh, but understand that I do think the prophetic ministry shifted from the Old Testament to the New Testament in this sense, that, that uh, if, if there is some form of inaccuracy that exists, we don't go throw rocks at them anymore. Uh, th- those words are to be weighed and to be considered because there is no 100% ministry. No evangelist wins 100% of the city. Uh, no pastor pastors 100% of the people. Uh, are you following me? I mean, there's no 100% ministry. So a prophetic ministry to be held to a standard of errorless perfection, I don't even believe is biblical. But I do believe it's essential that a prophetic ministry certainly have a, a, a track record of credibility in speaking the word of the Lord, and it would be an anomaly for them to be off course than it would be for them to be on target. But those are the things, that's why it's your responsibility. My responsibility let's just say, is to deliver the mail. After I delivered, I'm just saying, this is what I feel like the Lord's saying, or the Lord would say. And now it's your responsibility as to what level of input or impact that's going to have on your life. And that takes spiritual maturity. It takes you being in the Word. It takes you knowing God's voice. It takes you being able to, you know, to, to consider these things and and so ultimately, that's your responsibility. I do my best. I'm, I'm asked of God to do that. But the receivers have to do their best to, to, to receive that well. Yeah, why don't, you, why don't you just come on up because we're going to make the switch anyway and you can take any last questions and then we can keep it rolling. Well, two, you know, how do you know if it's the Holy Spirit or another spirit? I mean, I think, you know, you're talking. There's, uh, it really, to me, it takes practice. Uh, there's, there's three voices, I believe, that are talking almost continually to us. I believe our flesh, I think we're talking to ourselves. You know, my name is Self, so it's easier for me. Hey, Self, how you doing? Oh, fine. I can take real selfies, you know, because that's my name. But, um, but there's three voices. <laughs> no, uh, seriously, though, before we get I did have one question. Though. Where are the coffee and donuts? <laughs> there's, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking almost continually. I believe there are other voices that are speaking constantly. And when you go in the spirit realm, there's a number of voices speaking there. It's either, it can be your voice, your flesh. It can be a demonic voice. It can be the Holy Spirit. So how do you know if it's the Holy Spirit or not? And literally, I believe that takes practice. That takes spending time with him, time in the word. And the more you, it's, it's like getting to know someone. You know, when you really know someone, when they call you, they just go, hey. If you don't know someone, they go, Hey, Ray, this is Jim. But after I know Jim for a while, he just calls me and goes, hey. And I go, hey, Jim, because I recognize his voice because I've spent time with him. And to me, that's the Holy Spirit. It, just, it takes time to recognize him. Um, and, yeah, there are other voices uh, talking. Amen? They're, they are. Yeah, there really are. So, I, like I said, I, you know, we've heard of being schizophrenic. I think we're triphrenic. There's the flesh talking. There's the demons talking. And there's the Holy Spirit talking. Who are you going to listen to? Anyway. I thought, okay, a um, couple Bibles up here. Let me uh, go what I wanted to go into because Pastor Kevin really um, hit into it. Uh, well, again, we'll do more. Well, he has answered questions. Let me do what I'm going to do, then we'll open up for more questions here in just a moment, okay? All right. Um, 
I'm going to go into Jeremiah, and I want to read something from Jeremiah, and I think then we'll, you know, we'll just help, if you have questions, hang on to them. Um, Jeremiah, that's on page uh, 1239. You might want to turn there in your Bible, 1239, just past the book of Hezekiah. Okay. In Jeremiah uh, 31, it says this, um, beginning in verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, this is a prophecy about the New Testament, all right? Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day which I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, but my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor, each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. So the differences with the new covenant is, is pretty, it's glaring, and, and it's, it's just, it's wonderful. Where in the, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon certain people at certain times. It was very rare. And when it came upon them, it was, it was a really big deal, okay? And people had to trust that that was the Spirit of God speaking, right? When it came upon Daniel or it came upon Isaiah or it came upon uh, Samuel, people had to trust that that was the Spirit of God because they had no other way of knowing that, you know, the, the, the anointing was on them, Okay? You know, Jesus Christ, the anointed one. It was amazing when the anointing came upon someone. It's it extremely rare. But in the new covenant, things have changed. Now he says, they will all know me. My law will be within all of them. All of my children will have the Holy Spirit. So Pastor Kevin was touching on this. The Holy Spirit recognizes his own voice. How do you know if it's a good prophetic word? Well, the Holy Spirit knows his own voice. I have the Spirit in me. You have the Spirit in you. Amen? It's the same Holy Spirit. So if I'm speaking of the Holy Spirit and I give you a prophetic word and it's from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in you goes, amen, that's me talking. Amen? It's the same person, same person in you that's in me. And that's how we discern. Now, I, I, another example I, I like to use is this. If, if, I, if I give you a, a prophetic word, Stan, I hear the Lord saying, you need to open a used car business, and you're going to make a fortune in the used car business. I think you should do this starting next month. Amen? And Stan goes, he goes, wow, the prophet said I should open up a used car business. And he goes and he does it. And it's a complete flop. It's actually a terrible word. One question is, who sinned? Both of us. <laughs> I sinned by deliberately giving a prophetic word. He sinned by not recognizing the word because he has the spirit and I have the spirit. In other words, there's a joint responsibility in prophetic ministry. It's not like the old days where you just have to trust whatever the prophet says. You, do not, you don't trust anything the prophet says without a witness in your spirit, which he mentioned, which means you have the same spirit that I have. You should have the Holy Spirit in you, and the Holy Spirit recognizes his own voice. How do you know if it's the Holy Spirit? I really believe it takes practice. You know, when my wife calls me, she doesn't go, hey, Ray, this is Christy, your wife. Remember me? She goes, hey, and I go, hey, baby. All right. Well, that's the way it should be with the Holy Spirit, right? When he speaks, we have spent so much time with him that we know him. And it, does, it takes time, okay? There's a, uh, um, 
and we, they mentioned downloads in, um, in the book of John, uh, chapter 16, Jesus talking. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose it to you what is to come. Very critical scripture, verse 14. Sometimes scriptures are so familiar and so obvious that we take them for granted, I believe. Verse 14, he will glorify me, talking about the Holy Spirit. He will glorify me, Jesus, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, this is Jesus talking, therefore I said he will take of mine and shall disclose it to you. So Jesus is giving us a formula here. And if you do not follow this formula, if you miss this formula, I want to tell you in my life I missed it. I missed it. The formula is very simple. There is a system that God uses. God downloads to Jesus Christ. Jesus said, all things the Father has are mine, okay? God downloads to Jesus. Jesus downloads everything he has to the Holy Spirit, and then he says, he shall disclose to you. Then the Holy Spirit downloads to you. Well, that's the way it works, right? It goes from God to Jesus to the Holy Spirit to us. Who, and the Holy, thank goodness that the Holy Spirit, thank God the Holy Spirit is within us. But what I did as a Christian growing up, a good Baptist boy, and I, I love the Baptist, is I skipped that third part. What I did was I studied about Jesus, and I studied about God, and I learned all about Jesus, and I learned all about God, and I read about Jesus, and I read about God. And what I was missing was, see, I was, I was focusing on God, I was focusing on Jesus, but I missed the download the Holy Spirit was trying to give me. In other words, I skipped that part. In other words, what I did was I knew all, the key word is about, about Jesus. I knew about God. I also knew about Abraham Lincoln, okay? And I knew about George Washington. And honestly, as a Christian, that was about my relationship with Jesus. I studied him. I, I knew his stories. I knew how he walked on water. I knew how he fed the 5,000. I knew how he died on the cross. I knew all that sort of stuff. But what I missed was that third part of the equation, which is the Holy Spirit, which God says, look, I'm downloading to Jesus. Jesus is downloading to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is downloading to you. So if you miss that part of the equation, you don't really know Jesus. You just know about Jesus. And that's what the new covenant is. And that's why the focus has to be on tuning in to the Holy Spirit. Now, he doesn't glorify himself. He gives credit to, to Jesus. That's how you know it's the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is always giving credit to Jesus. And so when you hear a prophetic word that doesn't sound like something that glorifies Jesus, you know that you know that you know it's not from God. Amen? Amen? So do you know about Jesus or do you know Jesus because you have that download coming from the Holy Spirit? And I'll say this and open it up for questions. This is to me, with the Holy Spirit and recognizing him, it's, tune, it's constantly adjusting yourself. It's constant adjustments. To me, the Holy Spirit flows like a river. The Bible says he moves like the wind. And you literally have to get in tune with the Holy Spirit. You've got to get in sync with the Holy Spirit. And when you get out of sync with the Holy Spirit, Things don't work so well in your life, and that's the way it is with prophecy. I was a kind of unusual guy living in Tennessee, but for 30 years, I was a sailboat racer. I raced sailboats for 30 years all over the country. That's what I did as a hobby. I raced sailboats, and I, was, I did it 
uh, all over national championships and you know I was invited to the Olympics all that kind of stuff this is what I did and um, I, I got you know not that I'm anything but I got very very good at it I won over 60 championships racing sailboats you know, I should have been in Charleston because it's big stuff down here I mean this is the mecca of it okay I never got to race down here but when you're sailing there's a thing called trimming your sails the wind to me is very much like the Holy Spirit and sailing a sailboat is very much like life with the Holy Spirit when you're sailing a boat you're constantly trimming your sails which means you're adjusting your sails to try to get your sails in flow and in sync with what the wind is doing and when you get your sails trimmed just right the boat all of a sudden accelerates and everything gets very smooth and it just feels really really good but when you're not adjusted right and your sails are just not quite right the boat actually shakes a little bit the boat slows down it doesn't feel right and when in a race all the other boats start to pass you up and all of a sudden things are just not working the way they should work and you can literally feel the difference in the boat but then all of a sudden you say hey I need you to trim that mainsail hey uh, if you have a crew you say hey I need you to put a few cranks on the Genoa which means you know loosen the Genoa or trim the Genoa it's the front sail trim it and then all of a sudden you get your sails back where they need to be and the boat begins to accelerate and it just starts to smooth out and it just feels so good that's where it is with the Holy Spirit is we're constantly trying to adjust our life, adjust our hearing, adjust our hearts, adjust what we're doing to what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. It's not, hey, I'm going here, come Holy Spirit and join me. Holy Spirit, let me get in tune with you. And sailing, you're trying to adjust to the direction of the wind and the velocity of the wind. And you adjust your sails accordingly. In life, it's a constant adjustment, adjusting ourselves to what the Holy Spirit is doing constantly it's tuning and it just takes practice and it takes years the first sailboat race I ever raced in in my life it was a great big race and the first time I ever raced and I got all the way up to the starting line and and how I was in my boat and the wind was blowing and things were going as a one-man boat this particular race I get all the way to the starting line and I capsized the boat turned upside down and I almost drowned that's how I started and that's kind of the way it is with the Holy Spirit. Once you start it, it may be you may not get anything. But the more you practice and the more you adjust yourself, the better you'll be able to hear him. Okay? So to me, that's what prophecy is. It's getting tuned into the Holy Spirit, being able to really know if this is his voice or not. How do you know? I think it takes practice and constant adjustment. But I tell you what, when you're in sync with the Holy Spirit, life is a lot better. Amen? I mean, your church is better, your job's better, your family's better, your marriage is better, everything's better, prophecies are better. Just got to get in sync. But when you're not in sync, things are a little rough. Amen? All right. Questions? Anybody like me want to know where the donuts are? Is there anybody else that wants to know? <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, sir. Okay. Is that why there's no donuts? <laughs> Tune up, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it is an adjustment. 
you cannot miss the third part of the download. You do, it's cool to know about God, cool to know about Jesus, but if you're missing that tuning in with the Holy Spirit, you just, you're, all you can do is know about him and you're not going to know him. Good point. Any question? Other question? Any other comments? Thought? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. How do you know if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit? We well, could do the traditional method. <laughs> There's some denominations that teach you must be speak with tongues to be baptized. If you're not, if you're, that's the initial evidence. You know, it's it's a big it's a big question. With me, you know, I was I'll just tell you with me. I'll just tell you what happened to me. Okay, and uh, I was saved in 1961 for real, folks. I mean, I really couldn't. I was 10 years old. I'm showing my age here. 1961, I was baptized and saved, and my life really did change. I mean, I remember a I became a different person in 1961. 25 years later, I went into a man's house. In my life, I was struggling with all kinds of stuff in my life, and a guy looked at me, and he said, I went for prayer because I, I was just I was in a terrible mess. Uh, the guy said, hey, Ray, have you ever heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Being a good little traditional Baptist man, I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he took me to Acts 8 and showed me Philip going up to Samaria and then the apostles coming up. He took me to Acts 19 when Paul met the believers from uh, Ephesus who had baptized under John's baptism but have not heard of the Holy Spirit. He took me to Acts 1, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He laid hands on me and he prayed and he said, Lord, I baptize my brother Ray with the Holy Spirit. And I sat in a chair, and I remember thinking, who's pouring oil on top of me? I felt like this warm oil being poured all over my body. Nothing was. I felt this incredible peace. I felt this feeling I've never felt before in my life. I've never felt so loved and so much peace in all my life. I never wanted to get up out of that chair again. I had never felt anything like that. And I felt this sense of power, love, and peace. And I'll tell you this, my life changed radically from that day forward. I actually was able to lay hands on the sick. I saw people healed. I began to prophesy. I began to get words of knowledge. I began to get words of wisdom. This happened to me. The gifts of the Spirit started to flow. I had more zeal for the Lord. I saw things in the Word I've never seen before. It was like I went from um, a Christian to, which was good, to wow. And then the Lord gave me a word. And this is, I guess, the best way to describe to answer your question. He said, Ray, you up to this point, you've been eating chocolate cake without the icing. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit was that icing on the chocolate cake. You know, cake is good, but cake with that icing is really good. <laughs> that, that, that's heavy theological stuff there. <laughs> okay, I'm saying <laughs> that's, that's hermeneutically very eschatology. You know, that's really good stuff, okay? Uh, any other questions? All right. Okay. I don't, I don't get the, how did you get so good looking? I usually get that all the time. But All right. Here's Pastor Joe Warner. I thought the sailboat stuff was tacky. <laughs> Going back to what um, Pastor Kevin said in regard to the girl with the python thing. What does the python do? So... What Paul did is he used the gift of discernment. She was saying the right things in the wrong spirit. And that takes a gift of discernment. 
these things that uh, Kevin touched on a little while ago are, are in the church today. If you think about necromancy, you're not allowed to pray to the yeah. dead. I went to Texas, and I was in a church. It was a Spanish church, and everybody in that church, Lord said, was a former Catholic. Who did they pray to? Who, where is Mary? She's dead. Who else do they pray to? Who are the saints? A football team. The saints are dead. And that night, that Sunday night, I'll never forget, in that Spanish church, I, I explained that to all those people, and I'm telling you, they began to repent of that, and they manifested all over the place. People were getting delivered from necromancy. Okay? And so this stuff is very real. It goes on, um, but you've got to have the gift of discernment to get into that. So we're talking about prophecy. I want to talk real quick about three levels of prophecy. Okay? And then we'll see if you have any questions about that. There's the... Um, there's the spirit of prophecy. You can be in a worship service wherever there's an anointing. The spirit of God can come upon anyone, and that person can get a prophetic utterance for somebody or for the church. And so the spirit of God rests upon anyone that happens to be present because there's a tremendous anointing there. So there's the spirit of prophecy, and everybody in this room has probably experienced that type of thing when you're just really in the presence of God in worship. And the Spirit of God really comes on you, begin to have genuine spiritual thoughts. The second level, by the way, that one is in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4, th 4 through 11, uh, Revelation 19, 10, Spirit of Prophecy. The second level is the gift of prophecy. Romans 12, 6. Since we've been given gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, if prophecy according to uh, proportion of his faith so there's the gift of prophecy a lot of people have the spiritual gift of prophecy they can prophesy almost anywhere at any time okay it's an actual gift the third level is a governmental level you guys had uh, brother rod in here from time to time brother rod is getting messages constantly these days about what's going on in the nation rod is a is in the office of a prophet, a governmental level of prophecy, and uh, God is giving him all types of things on that level. And so, really understand, there really are three different levels. There's the spirit, there's the gift, and then there's the office. If you think about the Old Testament, who were some of the prophets in the Old Testament? Elijah, Elisha. And so they were operating in the office of a prophet. Why do I say that? Who were they confronting? kings and i mean okay and so and that's a whole nother level than the average person in your local church okay um in different places that we've gone i know kevin's gone ray's gone we've all gone we operate in different levels and so you need you really need to understand that okay any questions about that you got that one okay we're going quickly this morning so you'll get some of this stuff the other thing i want to talk to you about really quickly is just judging prophecy we touched on it a little bit yesterday but i just want to give you some practical things uh, would one of you guys time me to make sure I don't go way over? Kevin, I'll trust you to do that. Ray will stop me quickly. Okay. So, in my manual, which is better than Kevin's and Ray's, we have, <laughs> we have judging prophecy. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 15. The natural man doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He can't understand them because they're spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. And so we are to judge prophecy. I have people say to me, you aren't supposed to judge. Listen, 
we are supposed to judge in this sense. We're not judging as in passing sentence. Ray sinned because he sinned. Ray's going to hell. I just passed sentence on Ray. Leave room for the wrath of God. God is the ultimate judge who will pass sentence. But for me to make a judgment that Ray has on a blue shirt today is a, is a, is a good judgment. And so the scripture is saying that spiritual people, spiritually appraised, determine the value. What is an appraisal on your home? We determine the value of something by spiritually appraising it. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. 1 Corinthians 14.29, let two or three prophets speak, let the others pass judgment. So judging prophecy, does it agree with the scripture? We said that last night. Number two, does it witness with your spirit? Since the spirit knows all thoughts, he knows our thoughts. Ray was talking about that earlier. That's in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, 11 through 13. The same Holy Spirit resides in us. So we should have the witness of the Holy Spirit within us. Number three, do those in authority over you agree with it? Number four, is the person prophesying reputable? Are they reputable? So we judge the prophet. Number five, did the person prophesying have prior knowledge? In our local church in Orlando, I rarely prophesy. Why? Because I know everyone really well. It's very easy to prophesy out of your soul, out of your emotion. It is so much easier for me to prophesy over people I don't know. That's easy to me. Prophesying to people I do know is much harder because my emotions get involved because, you know, I know their story. I know what's going on. And, and I just get caught up in that. And so you'll find me rarely prophesying to a person that I know very well. All right. Uh, number six, have there been other words or wise counsel basically saying the same things? I view prophecy as like a surveyor working for a, a railroad. Have you ever seen railroad tracks make a U-turn? And so prophecy should, should, is like an architect going out in advance, always mapping out the course of the tracks. The Holy Spirit in prophecy should confirm the direction that God has been taking you. If you get a, prof prof a prophetic word and it contradicts everything that God has ever said to you, you know what? Every warning bell in you ought to go off. Okay? Prophecy should confirm. All right? So, important things to remember. You're personally responsible whether or not you receive a prophecy. No decision to receive the prophecy is a decision. Number three, does it... Don't be pressured by people. We call it parking lot prophecy. In our church, if you grab somebody and start prophesying over them, you're going to get in trouble. We always do it in teams. We do it under authority. It stands to head of that, that particular ministry. If you're in your local church, you're wondering how it works, ask Stan today. He can tell you exactly how it works. But we want to do it in teams. We don't have long-ranger prophets. Okay. And so, that, I mean, I'm telling you, that's a big deal, okay? If you receive that word fully, you should embrace it, including warring with it. I have some prophetic words that I have. I knew they were from God, and I warred with those words because the word brings faith. And so there's a battle over the word. Think about the sower and the seed. The birds of the air come what? To pick it up and steal the word. So James 2 says, you know what? I'm responsible... <laughs> To receive the word implanted, 
which is able to save my soul. So if a prophetic word is really from God and it gets implanted within my heart, within my spirit, it should take root and it should begin to grow. And faith will come with it, okay? Uh, don't try to make it happen. I know a couple that were in a service, and believe it or not, somebody gave them a word that God wanted them to become missionaries in Africa. And say so they believe that that was right. It could have been the right word. I don't know. I wasn't there. I don't know them very well. The next week, they sold everything they had, and they went to Africa. No training. Totally by themselves. No support. And when they ran out of money, they came home just totally destroyed, wondering, why did God do that to us? Did God do that to them? So you may, you may get a prophetic word. You're not supposed to go make it happen, okay? It takes time. It takes training. It takes, e it takes equipping. All that stuff has to happen. I have a file in my desk full of prophetic things that I've gotten over the years. And so every now and then, probably once a month or so, I pull out that file and I review the different words that God has given me. Some of them I review because they've built my faith. They've taken place, and I'm rejoicing over them. Some of them I review because they haven't happened yet, and I still look at them. I want to honor that word because I felt like it was something from the Lord. Some things have to do with different countries. I received many words about going to Siberia, Russia, for years and years and years and years and years. And a few months ago, a guy walked up to me. Uh, he's in our network. He and his wife used to work in Russia. And he said, you know, I feel like you're supposed to go with me to Siberia this fall. Would you consider going? Well, some things you don't have to pray about. God's already told me many times that I'm going to do that. And so I'm planning to do that. And so I, I don't try to make it happen. But when God puts it right in front of me, I, I, I want to cooperate with what the Lord happens to be doing. Now, I think people have hallway hallucinations in churches. Bathroom revelations. If somebody walks up to you and says, you know, I, I really have a word to share with you. Say, you know what? Um, do you think we could get one of somebody in our church that's in authority to be here when you share that word with me? Okay. So we want to make sure that people are doing things under authority. Okay. So let me just hit a few things. Um, many times in a church service, people get prophetic words and they think it's for the whole church. And most of the time it's not. Most of the time, it's for them. It's for them or somebody in their family. Number two. Sometimes, if you get into a worship service and this person gets this great word and they go up to give it, and the pastor goes, "You know, it's kind of what the last person already shared. The word's already been given." Number three. If you are, feel like you're getting a prophetic word, but it's kind of cloudy or confusing on the inside of you, you're not to share it. It has to be crystal clear in here in your spirit. Before it is shared. I'm going to use a word with you. And <laughs> I want you to think about this. If God gives me. A word for Ray. Ray. God wants to give you hair. Amen. I got a witness. Amen. Right. I'm responsible for packaging the word. Okay. So I know what God's trying to communicate. But how I package that word. May determine on whether or not that person receives that word. So what's another way to say that to Ray? Ray, you have root issues. And, <laughs> but 
I, I'm responsible to package that word, okay? And <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I know it's terrible. I'm sorry. I am serious. I'm always serious, okay? Sometimes last night I got a prophetic word for a man, and it was a word that was pretty um, significant, and I didn't give it to him publicly. I went to him privately, okay, and shared some of those thoughts with him. And so, you know, that's something I have to discern after doing this 10,000 times. You know, you learn to do some of those things, okay? People come up to me all the time and say, hey, remember that word that you gave me? The answer is no. Okay? The other thing is, I, I just want to encourage you, the prophetic really is a gift. You can't make it happen. And people who are encouragers have the gift of exhortations. They, they'll give the word, then they explain the word, then they tell you how you're supposed to go do it and what your steps are to make that word happen. That's not being prophetic. Prophets share the word. They don't add to it. They don't encourage you about it. They just share the word. Every prophet is different. My wife is very prophetic. I can look at people and get words. Karen, the minute she lays hands on them, she can read their history. But it happens when she lays his hands. So it's different with everybody. So everybody kind of operates a little bit differently in these things. I get words and pictures. And so I can look at somebody. I was looking at a man one day sitting in my office, and on his forehead was the word adultery. And I said to him, um, you know, are you having an affair? I'd known him most of my life. And he said, no. And I said, I feel like the Lord told me you're having an affair. He said, no, it's not true. So I let it go, but I knew in my spirit that he was lying. So the next day I woke up early. I was really deeply troubled. And I said, Lord, what should I do? And the Lord said, go to the other side of Orlando, which is a 45-minute drive. Be there at 11.50 in this parking lot of this restaurant. I'm like, really? So I did that. So I'm sitting in that parking lot feeling kind of foolish. What am I doing on the wrong side of town? I'm, I've got wasting all this time. And I watched him walk in a restaurant. A little while later, a girl that I knew from high school went walking into the same restaurant and was sitting next to him at the table, and they were making out sitting there at a table. So I walked in and sat down and said, hi. <laughs> and so, you know, God, God speaks to me through what I see. Okay, Ray gets things differently than I do. Ray is like a weeping prophet. He has a gift of compassion. And so if Ray, if Ray prophesies over you, you're probably going to end up weeping. That's the way, I mean, he has a, a gift of compassion. I don't have that gift. I don't really care how you feel. <laughs> I kind of do, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> my, goal, my goal is to... Just share the word, okay? So Stan and I are more alike, okay? And uh, Ray makes everybody cry. Everybody cries when Ray prays for him. It's my cat cried when Ray prophesied over my cat. So Anyway, uh, that's my 15 minutes. Any questions? Yes, my son.
Sure. Yeah, sometimes you're laying empty hands on empty heads. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what? Listen, you can have 50 people lined up across the front of the church. Yes, I see that hand. The restroom is over here. And you can go down through that line. And you know what? It would make more sense to start at the end of the line and work your way this way, right? I can't do that. I have to stand back and look. And I'll look at somebody, and there will be an indication somehow that's the person I go pray for first. And, and, and I kind of work like that. And it's my desire that everybody would receive a word. But sometimes I have to spend a quality amount of time just praying in the Spirit over a person before I get something. Okay? Now, there's another thing I do. Sometimes you have to understand we're praying over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in some services. And so I have that my wife says it's a gift that I have. I have this incredible ability to empty my mind. <laughs> no comments. And I go into, I can't find a phrase for it, I go into automouth. I go down through those hundreds of people. I'm not thinking, I'm not looking. I don't care if it's a man or a woman, a child or a teenager. I don't care. I put my hand on the first thing I get, I speak. And I go to the next one. And I can go and process over hundreds of people when I get in that mode. And that's a very rare thing it's a very supernatural thing that happens but sometimes because of the size of the group that's what happens ray and i and stan we've gone to churches and we've walked around in the audiences and we just start picking on people <laughs> we just ask somebody to stand up and we will all three get words for that person so it can be done a hundred different ways but sometimes you have to wait upon the lord over that kind of thing and there are times i just don't get anything there are other times you can lay hands on somebody and prophesy with them, and, and the word that they get is, God really loves you. And you're going, really? They're thinking, is that really the word? But you'd be amazed when the Holy Spirit gives you that unction. They, they were really doubting the love of God. Okay? So, yeah, it does happen, though. It really does. I am not going to... People really understand this. When the spirit of prophecy and the gift of prophecy are really working in a service, when it lifts, it lifts. And when the service is over and you've had an hour and a half worth of opportunity to come up and be prayed for, don't come up and ask me after church to give you a word. Okay? I love you, but it's not going to happen. All right? Because there's a flow to it. And it works with worship. And, it, and there's a real flow to it, okay? Now, now, could I just stop and give you the word yes? I was in India a couple of months ago, and one week I prophesied, I think, 1,200 times. Okay, and so <sighs> I, was, I was tired. When I got down to the end, I went, God loves you, doesn't like you, you're all right, you're not. It's, <laughs> it's not as bad as Ray. Ray was in Louisiana. A guy comes forward, has on an LSU outfit. Ray goes, you an LSU fan? Guy goes, yep. Ray pushes him aside and goes, Next. I might make a – I agree with everything that's been shared, first off, and, and there are nuances to this ministry because it's of the Spirit. I mean, there, there are going to be nuances just as there are in preaching and teaching. Uh, one of the things, Wally, to that also I would use to distinguish between the gift and the office is that I believe uh, – some think this to be controversial, I don't, but I believe that uh, a prophet – is called that and there's a well 
that exists in that man, woman, prophetess, that can be tapped. Now, the gift is, according to 1 Corinthians 12, sovereignly given to whom God wills, the scripture says. The spirit is maybe a great worship service and the anointing is there and anybody can feel compelled. But a prophet in some ways has the capacity to tap, the, to tap that call. I, I don't, I'm, gonna, I'm using different terminology. To tap that call at any moment. Just as I am called, let's say if you're a preacher, the scripture says that whether it's in season or out of season, you can preach. And I believe that there are in season, out of seasons. Now, the danger to that and the maturity that has to come to that is that if you're not careful, you push yourself into performance uh, or, or listening to other voices, the flesh. So, so you're responsible, just like you would be behind a pulpit, that you just can't get up there and flippantly turn the gift on, and you're not speaking what God's really saying. But that, that's, that's one of the things about an office prophet is that there's a well that flows that can be tapped. And, and the maturity is that I know how long to go, I know where to go, I know the timing. Those are the maturity issues, and that's why you see in the Old Testament the prophets were mentored by a seasoned prophet. That's how that ministry kept flowing was out of the mentoring of it. And we, we, we've lost that. In fact, Ray and I were talking about that last night. We have totally lost in the body the mentoring of the office gifts to where it's, it's, it just doesn't happen. So, uh, you know, whether that'll change or not, we'll see. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Wally, the answer could be either or, yes. Are there, I do think there are seasons where God puts upon local churches uh, a prophetic edge uh, or breeze or wind to where, you know, everyone seems to have that uh, inclination. Um, those that might function out of that gift predominantly may have seasons where they say, boy, this sure seems to be happening a lot. In other seasons, it doesn't. Could be for various reasons. Could be... You know, you, you're just, you're crunched at home and life, and it's just hard. So these things are hard to just categorize with, with you know, to cement them in. But I, I will say this. I feel like for our church that we're entering into a season where I very much sense in my spirit God saying we've got to recapture the flow of the spirit, the things of the spirit, and we have to, we have to foster and rekindle these things. So I think we all should expect sort of a rekindling of that you know it's probably been there through the years in fact I know it has through the years for you and it's pro it's probably going to be rekindled and that's okay and and you know it, instead of evaluating too much the why's just kind of roll maybe with the with the what is but uh, any good uh, any other question yeah Lauren in a Catholic service, uh-huh, saints, 
Yeah. Well, you know, for for <laughs> you know, for years those lines were pretty pretty dramatic between Protestants and Catholics, and I mean, there those were, those were just really. I remember when I was a little kid, and if we attended a friend's Catholic service, I mean, we were it was really you didn't kneel, you didn't, you just kind of sat there like you weren't going to participate in any way, shape, or form. Because of the renewal movement, th those lines were dropped a little bit because there were, I believe, and still believe because I know some, who are warm-hearted evangelical Catholic believers who have elected to remain within the Catholic Church. Now, I, I can ask the question, I'm not exactly sure why, because of the challenges I personally have, but that was their decision. So I respect them and those decisions that they made. As for me, it, to me, I can, I can cut it internally I just cut it off I'm not entering in I'm not participating in it you know I'm not disrespecting it if I'm there for whatever reason you know I, I get it but I'm not disrespecting it so so you just have to navigate it in such a way that just says you know it's I it, it's, it's for me it's not scriptural I'm gonna I can disconnect from it maybe this is a friend family member and I can, I'll just, you know, I'll respect the moment, but that doesn't mean I have to enter into what's going on. So I know, uh, I, I, the reason I'm just saying this out loud is because Maria has Catholic background, and, and I'm just saying this out loud. Maria has one of the, the best wisdom counseling nuggets that she can drop in that area and how you kind of navigate that as a spirit-filled believer, as she is, and, and has family that she cares about and how you navigate that. She would be a great voice to kind of hear, how do I navigate this thing, okay? So, okay, let's do a new topic. Yeah, real quick. Um, I want to do about some misconceptions real quick, prophetic misconceptions. Um, uh, let, let me address first, because one of the major things that you all will face probably out there in your everyday world is someone who will look at you, and when you talk to them about your church or you share with them about even this conference or something, they're going to look at you and say, <laughs> Prophets are long gone. First off, you have to say, where do you read that in the scripture? That's your first simple response. Show me in the Bible where they went away. Yeah. Ephesians 4 is the perfect place for you to go because it says that uh, God has given, Christ has given to the church gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It talks about their job description for the edification of the saints and, uh, and it talks about until we all attain unto the unity of the, of the faith, I believe is what it says. I'd have to, so in the knowledge of the son, uh, in the knowledge of Jesus unto a mature man. And the question is, have we reached that? And everyone will say, well, of course not. We haven't reached that yet. Well, therefore, these gifts have not gone anywhere. So I, I, want, I want you to know that scripturally, these offices, as neglected as they may be at times, still exist. And they're being restored in the earth uh, in even greater measure today. Now, a lot of the restoration took place, I believe, in the 70s, 1970s, and 80s. And I think we kind of got ahead of ourselves, and we sort of pushed our way through the prophets and the apostles. And uh, I was talking to Bishop Fred the other day, and I said, honestly, I believe this era that we're in right now, that God is trying to get the prophets and the apostles back in the oven to bake a little longer because there are some things that are coming out or need to come forth out of these offices that we've neglected, we've skipped, we've overlooked, we just presumed upon God. We understood they were still around, but we didn't allow God uh, to have the opportunity 
to to blossom them appropriately. We just we rushed. And uh, it's not that we weren't well intended, but it's just now I think we're going to see a more mature, a more fully represented prophetic ministry. I say that because prophets for years were simply known as people that came to local churches who gave people personal words. Nothing wrong with that. That's in order. But there's a whole component of reformation that's attached to the prophetic ministry, if you go through the Old Testament, that has just simply been neglected. And so I believe that is being uh, restored and refined. And so uh, you're going to begin to see prophets and apostles again come, and you're going to hear people go, hey, that stuff's gone, it's passed away. And, and uh, your response just has to be, show me in the Bible where it says it's gone, where, where it's left. And they'll scramble because it's just not there. Yeah, all right, come on, jump up. But it's gone. No, it's not. It's here. He's right here. Um, you know, the one of the teachings that I heard was 1 Corinthians, you know, 13. And as a teacher, if anybody here is a teacher, one of the things you hate more than anything is scriptures out of context. And there's been more damage done with scriptures out of context to the body of Christ, to denominations, to the world, and maybe any other thing in theology. But it says, um, uh, you know, we talked about love, you know, love never fails. You know, the great, you know, the great uh, wedding scripture, you know, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away with. See, there it is. Uh, if there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, they'll be done away. Well, there we go, folks. It is gone, right? For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial shall be done away with. Let's stop right there. The perfect comes. Well, that must be the canonization of scripture because the Bible is perfect. And literally, that's, that's what's taught. But, but is that what it's actually saying? So we read on, and it says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child. Well, wait a minute. Is this talking about maybe maturity? When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. But now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will be known fully as I'm also fully known. And so... When the perfect comes, it's definitely not talking about canonization of Scripture. I mean, to me, it's talking about the fullness of Christ. It's what I see in there. When we are fully known, when we reach that fullness of Christ, and when Jesus comes back, I'm not going to have to speak to him in tongues or prophesy to him. That's all going to be done away with. Um, but you just read the Scripture. Just read the rest of the story. And, and you know, I don't criticize them i just know that they've taken scriptures out of context the other one is what ephesians 2 20 church having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets uh, jesus christ being the chief cornerstone so the teaching is well the church has been founded as a matter of fact i heard and not condemning him the great man of god adrian rogers was head of the southern baptist convention you know he's from memphis which is my hometown and i actually listened to him preach this he said the church was founded on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Therefore, since the church has been founded, there are no more apostles and prophets. But the rest of that scripture says Jesus Christ was the chief cornerstone. Well, that's part of the foundation, right? So according to that logic, if the church has been founded and we don't need the foundation anymore, we don't need apostles, prophets, or Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, again, it's just... Um, Read scriptures in context. If you want to know the context of a scripture, read the whole chapter. If you want to know the context of that chapter, read the whole book. If you want to know the context of that book, read the whole New Testament. If you want to understand the New Testament, read the whole Old Testament. Amen. Amen. And uh, 
Unfortunately, we have those technological glitches, or, or I could use my handy-dandy smart board, but also just in the 1 Corinthians 13 passage, uh, in the original language, if you'll study the perfect, uh, in the Greek actually would be better translated perfect one. And so it, it, it indicates it's not a thing, it's a person. And so it's just another indicator that... Uh, when, exactly. And uh, then... Then these things will no longer be necessary. Hey, let me go through just a couple quick um, misconceptions here um, that people sometimes carry. Uh, all prophets, misconception number one, all prophets are like Old Testament prophets. No, because all pastors aren't like each other, are they? I mean, not everybody's, uh, you know, uh, like Billy Graham. Not everybody, I'm not like Joe. Joe's not like me. I mean, we can go around and around, but, but prophetic ministries come to us differently. By the way, there are two Hebrew words. Uh, one is nabi, which uh, is really uh, indicates a springing forth or a bubbling up. Uh, that prophetic ministry usually comes by way of the word. And then there's roe, which is those who see or get pictures. And if you read the Bible, you see the difference between Isaiah, for example, when you read Isaiah and when you read Ezekiel. Isaiah just writes the word. And then you get to Ezekiel and he goes, I saw a wheel and a wheel and there was fire. And, you know, and, and you can see the differences in that, that prophetic presentation. So not all prophets are like Old Testament prophets. Uh, nobody glows in the dark. We do not walk three inches above the ground. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> Number two, all prophets are 100% accurate 100% of the time. Now, this is the easiest critique to bring against a modern prophetic ministry because someone will say, does a real prophet ever miss it? But hear me when I say this, that that has to be carefully parsed uh, because Jonah prophesied of the destruction of Nineveh and Nineveh wasn't destroyed. Does that make Jonah a false prophet? No, what happened? Nineveh repented and therefore got right with God. So therefore, the prophecy was given, which was true, but the people responded in such a way that the prophecy did not necessarily have to come to pass as Jonah had declared it. In fact, oftentimes, you know, I think Jonah got ticked off because it didn't happen. And uh, I think uh, his prophetic credibility was challenged at that point. And I think that's another interesting story that or sideline that could come from that but but all prophecy really is conditioned upon a person's response um, in Hebrews 4 uh, let me just read this real quick uh, there's a principle a precept that I'm going to pull out of Hebrews 4 verse 2 it says for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them but listen but the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it so when you hear the word of the Lord come to you, if you do not bring your faith to bear in that word, it, it, could, it could sit there almost suspended. Most of us want to treat a personal prophecy like it's an oath word. Like, well, Joe said it, and he moves in God, and that's it. It's, it's done. Yeah, well, hey, wouldn't that be nice? But, 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 but prop, even your personal prophecy is conditioned upon faith. Now, you, it is true what he said. You can't make it happen. Nobody's suggesting you have to make it happen. 
But we will suggest that if God says, hey, I'm going to bring to you an open door. I'm going to, you're going to have this happen in your future, and it's really a great thing. And God brings an open door, and you sit on your couch. It, it, it isn't going to happen. Now, that's not making it happen, but it is responding to the moment that you have that God has brought to you to move as he would be leading you. Are you following me on this? That's what it means to mix with faith. Faith without works or faith without corresponding action is dead that word will be dead to you unless faith is brought into it as well so everything is conditional in that sense um, that you have to mix faith with it nobody's perfect nobody's airless and uh, uh, you know all right uh, misconception number three and then I'm gonna I, I I'm gonna stop with misconception three prophets speak judgment and condemnation no no uh, they can speak a challenging word or even a tough word i've i've mentioned this before but mostly we major in good news in fact i think most most words eventually come around to some sense of good news the spirit of prophecy revelation 19 and 11 says is the testimony of jesus and so i believe that that uh there's always good news there's always hope that's linked to the prophetic word uh, but but there can be challenges that are put in there, and it's not all judgment or all condemnation. And I've already mentioned prophecy most often is God simply saying, this is what you can be if you let me. Um, I know where you're at. I know what's going on. I even know, I know your challenges, but this is what could be. This is the good news if you'll let me do this in your life. Um, it's interesting, Jacob, and I'll stop and then we'll field any comments or questions. Jacob in Genesis 28, you know, his name means really usurper, manipulator. He was a liar and a scoundrel. And yet God speaks to him and speaks to him about his potential and not his weakness. And I have just found through the years, uh, because this has happened to me in meetings before, we've prophesied over people, and I've, after the meeting, someone will come aside and say, you know, you were prophesying over that guy, and do you know what's going on in his life? He's this, he's that, he's all the rest, and, you know, I don't know if what you said was on target or not. Listen, God doesn't need to speak to your sin because he already knows about your sin. Most of the time, the Spirit of the Lord wants to speak to the potential that you have in him that he sees, that's why when he looks at Jacob, who's a liar, scoundrel, manipulator, usurper, and he can begin to pronounce over him, listen, you can be Israel, which is prince of nations. That was his potential. But Jacob had to be broken in order for that potential to come to pass. So, so hear me when I'm saying this. When God speaks a, a word to you and it's an encouraging word, a good word, he's not let you off the hook on your defects or or the unconfessed sin, or anything else that's going on in your life. He's just merciful enough to say, I get it, and this is your potential, but you're still expected to repent. You're still expected to obey. You're still expected to walk in faith. And, and, and this was God's way of speaking to you and speaking to that potential that you might arise and not having to speak to you in such a way that it brings embarrassment. You know, Pastor Joe told the story of the guy that came to his office and he got the word adultery. Do you understand the mercy of God at that moment in that office? When Joe looked at him and said, I keep seeing this word adultery, and the guy's going, I don't know what you're talking about. That was God's moment of mercy for that man. Because if he would have just dropped his head and said, you're right, I've sinned. I, you, I mean, who knows what could have happened in that office 
that God could have done under cover and lack of embarrassment. But instead, he went where he went. And, and how many of you know, God will shout it from the housetop eventually. And, and, and now, unfortunately, it would probably was embarrassing. And yeah, yeah. And, and, and I have found through the years, God always tries to deal with things in a way that will retain your dignity. It's an amazing thing. But when we refuse to be dealt with or hear the Lord in those moments, that won't stop him. So anybody that says, oh, they exposed me and did, 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 I oftentimes, I know automatically I've said, no, no, you had, you had shots fired over your bow before it happened. And, uh, and, and so the prophetic ministry isn't here to embarrass you. It is here most of the time to encourage you and to loose you into greater destiny. Okay, any comment? Yeah, come on up because you're next anyway. Um, just uh, one quick comment. Don't want, really, just please, if you have questions, just go ahead and raise your hand because we really want to, everybody to interact. Please just uh, open for them. Not you, though. Anybody else? <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help it. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay, um, I'll, I'll just make this short because really think about your questions, um, you know, that you have. Well, we really love your input. I, I just want to mention um, I've been dealing with prophetic people for a very long time, training and equipping them and all this, you know, kind of stuff. And what I've noticed is some of the immature people with the prophetic gift or prophets, they'll prophesy on the wrong side of the cross. You see, there was a we, we, we have the Old Testament prophets who, who could prophesy doom and gloom and judgment and all kinds of stuff, but something happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament, amen? We had a Savior. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament gave us knowledge of sin and knowledge of our need for a Savior, did it not? Amen? But then all of a sudden we have a Savior who goes to the cross who takes a lot to the cross, amen? There's the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we must make sure that our prophecies are after the finished work of Jesus Christ and they line up with the finished work of Jesus Christ. So if you get a prophetic word and it doesn't line up with what Jesus has already completed, it is not from God. God will not violate what his son has already done. He cannot, he will not violate or undo or unsurp anything his son accomplished at the cross and, and the resurrection, amen? So it's very important. And some of the doom and gloom and uh, some of the judgmental prophecies I've heard literally were prior to the cross. I said, no, that's not, that's not of God because we've, we've had something happen. We've had a change. There's been a change. Thank you, Jesus. It's not that we ignore the Old Testament. We do not ignore the Old Testament. We wouldn't understand the ministry of Christ if it weren't for the Old Testament, Amen. 
The law was our tutor to lead us to Christ. Amen. So uh, we don't ignore our tutor. Amen. So that's kind of really what I, what I wanted to uh, what I wanted to mention. And you know, I, I saw a, um, a woman get up. A, a, she called herself a prophetess, and she um, called out a praise and worship leader publicly to tell him that he had been having an affair. She interrupted the service to point out, you are having an affair with this woman here, blah, blah, blah. And the man, literally, it's a true story, the man literally has a heart attack in front of the church. And then the prophet, quote, unquote, prophet, bragged about it for years, about what she had done. It was one of the most evil things I've ever heard of in my life. Amen. That's not the way God works. It's just not the way God works. Another thing Joe mentioned and, 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 and Pastor mentioned, Prophecy so many times is something God's already been trying to tell you. It's God's mercy. He's prophesying something that he's already been trying to tell you all along. You've heard the word way he's confirming. To me, prophecy is a gift of mercy. It's God going, hey, I've been trying to tell you this all along, so I sent this guy named Joe Warner to tell you the same thing. I've been trying to tell you for the last 10 years, but I have to send somebody else from another city just to tell you the same thing. I've been trying to get across to you, and you go, oh, okay, I got it. And so many times that's really what it is. It really is. You know, it's like, oh, so this is what you've been trying to tell me? Because, yes, how many people do I have to send? So it really is a mercy gift. It's God's mercy. And it is to be desired. You know, so why, why prophecy other than so many spiritual gifts? It's just very simple. What's more important in the voice of God? What's more important than what God has to say? Will we not be able, every mistake I've made in my life, and I've made a bunch of them, I would guarantee you 99.9% .9 of the mistakes I've made because I did not hear God's voice. You know, and then you, then you look back. You ever done this one? You look back and you go, you know, I kind of remember that check in my spirit. I sort of remember that, you know, I, I thought, you know, I kind of remember that check. Don't do that, but we did it anyway. You ever done that one? Yeah, I, I sort of, oh, man, I made a mistake going there. Holy cow, I made a mistake taking that job. Looking back on it, yeah, I think God was trying to tell me something. You know, how many times? I'll just share, um, and I'll turn over to Pastor Joe, one, one story which I think just points it out. There's a couple that, uh, he's a friend of a friend. You know, we all have friends of friends, right? They went camping in Colorado, you know, up in the mountains of Colorado. You ever been tent camping? It's tent camping. You know, tent camping is a lot of work. You know what I'm saying? So they had their tent in the back of the, of the car, and they pull up to this beautiful campsite, and the guy pulls the tent out, you know, and he's trying to drive the stakes in the rocky soil, you know, which is a real pain in the rear. You're trying to get the tent up, get all, you know, and of course, we don't read the instructions on how to do the tent because we're guys, right? So we're trying to make sure our wife understands that we got this under control. We have no idea what we're doing, but somehow or another, the tent almost gets up, and he's trying to get his Coleman stove set up. And all of a sudden, the wife goes, uh, honey, the Lord says that we should not camp here. And, of course, the husband being... You know, husband, he goes, I rebuke you, Satan. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. No, honey, I, I really heard the Lord say we shouldn't camp here. Honey, do you know how much trouble, I, this is a true story, how much trouble I've just gone to. I've got this tent out. We've all set up. We are not moving anywhere. And then being, you know, typical wife. By the way, you know how you spell Holy Spirit, right? Men, W-I-F-E. Okay. So one lady said, yeah, I got that. I mean, I got that. All the men go, huh? So Finally, the husband gives in. And he says, okay, okay, okay. So we, he packed up the car, and he moved to another campsite. That night, there was a rock slide, and these huge boulders come down the mountain. And guess what campsite the rocks rolled over where they had been camping? 
literally a prophetic word from that woman saved their life. And to me, it's just a, it's just a reminder of how critical it is to hear God's voice. I mean, guys, you, we've got to hear his voice not just for you, but for your wife, for your family, for your children. <coughs> what if our nation could actually hear God? Amen? Amen. That's all I'm going to say to that. Any, other, any questions for the next speaker? <coughs> Comments, questions? All right, Pastor Joe. My idea of camping is a resort. I'm going to talk to you really fast uh, for a few minutes about dreams and visions. How many of you right now are having a vision? A bad vision? I have had so many dreams that have affected my life, and my wife has also had them. So I want to talk to you about dreams. I know a lot of people have had dreams. Uh, most of the time, the dreams were for you. Um, my wife and I were trying to make a major decision. A church that we were in that had experienced a major move of God. I'd been on staff there for 14 years. And we felt like we had to, to leave. Felt like the things they were doing were really quenching the Holy Spirit. And it was one of the hardest decisions we ever had to make. And so anyway, we're in the process of making that decision. And Karen had this same dream two or three nights in a row. And her dream was... She saw the church building, and in the dream, she saw rabbits, hundreds and hundreds of rabbits, jumping out of the windows and doors of the church. And they were all brown. All the rabbits were brown, and she kept having that. So she brought it to me, and I asked the Lord about it, and I had some books on interpreting dreams and visions, and so I went and I looked at some of those things. Rabbits represented reproducing. Brown represented the flesh. So the Lord released us because he said to us quite clearly that church was reproducing after the flesh. And so God used a dream to give us very definitive directions. Now, there are some ministries that do nothing but focus on dreams. I think that's crazy. Dreams are a part of the prophetic. I'm never going to build a church around having dreams. All right? And so, uh, visions... Visions, um, when we started Freedom Fellowship, it was a very hard week. My father had died in the same funeral home that we did his service the next Sunday in that chapel. They allowed us to use that chapel for almost a year. Um, we started our church. So our church started in a funeral home. We really knew how to get down. <laughs> yes. Yeah, people could really dig it. And... Um, I can do this for an hour on this particular subject. So anyway, so, so the first service of our new church, while I'm preaching, a cloud came in the room. It came right through the back doors. Nobody else in the room saw it. I'm trying to preach, and this cloud is coming at me in a funeral home. So the cloud kept coming, and it came, and it stood right over my head. I'm thinking, well... If it's lightning, it's convenient. I'm in a funeral home. And so it just stood there. And after a while, it began to move around, and it looked just like a giant hand. And so while I was preaching, the Lord said, when you go home, find it. So I went home. I found it in 1 Kings 18. 
Elijah's servant, Elijah sent him up seven times, and he said, what do you see? He said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And what the Lord was saying to me was, it was a, it was a cloud because it represented a covering. It was a man's hand because it represented fivefold ministry. So God was giving me a vision saying that I require this church in your ministry to be under a covering of fivefold ministers. So that happened in the form of a vision. Um, six or eight weeks ago, our church has been under incredible spiritual warfare. We've had witches on our property, and they've been doing sacrificial things. We have a girl, a woman, who came out of the occult who caught two of the witches, and they tried to drag her into the car, scratched her, bit her, did all kinds of stuff. So anyway, it's been an interesting season. So in the middle of all that, in our church, we're a very prophetic church, people start having dreams and visions that have warnings attached to them. And so it's always interesting because God's exposing the enemy through some of the dreams and different things that go on. So anyway, I had this, um, had this dream slash vision, and in it I saw, a, I saw an octopus. And the octopus represented a spirit. It represented a stronghold. And the octopus, you know how they uh, hide themselves in that black, inky oil, whatever it is. And in the dream, I saw this octopus, and I saw it was huge, and its tentacles were going out, attaching themselves to people's minds. And the Lord told me that the enemy was trying to fog up people's minds. And every now and then in this dream slash vision, I could see the eye of the octopus, and it was full of pride. It was very, very arrogant. And I, I knew in my spirit the enemy was saying, I've I've got you now. I'm finally going to destroy you and Freedom Fellowship. So that's what the whole thing was about. And so, so I realized we're in incredible spiritual warfare. And the type of warfare, because of what I saw, had to do with what was going on in people's minds. And people were believing lies and had a lot of vain imaginations. So it allowed me, in a spiritual sense, to be warned by the Lord understand what was going on because our battle is not against flesh and blood people are not the enemy they just look like the enemy <laughs> but people aren't the enemy okay and so anyway um we really battled through all this some of it's there's a little residual of it still but um i would say in the last three or four months we've gone through the worst warfare as a church that we've ever known i mean it's crazy the things that have gone on and so we've had, I think right now at this point, we've had like six people who've had very definitive dreams and visions with very clear understanding that have come and really helped us to interpret the different things about these dreams and visions. So if you think about it, can you think of anybody in the Bible that was influenced by dreams? Who? Joseph. How about Old Testament? Joseph again. Okay. I'm sorry, I was thinking Joseph, New Testament. Um, so we have lots of dreams and stuff in, in the scripture influencing people's lives, right? Now I want you to think about this. The dream books, to me, the interpretation books are all a little strange. Some of the things they come up with, I just I look at it. I go, I just can't see some of this stuff. Some of it's downright weird, but some of it is right. Think about this. Trees in the Bible represent people, Isaiah 55, 12. They do. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. 
right? Okay. Sheep, what do sheep represent? Bad people, right? Sheep, sheep represent us, right? By the way, you know the first Catholic in the Bible? Come on. Joshua, son of Nun. You liked it. You liked it. Okay. It was good. It was good. Okay. So you have seen the stuttering priest. It gets worse here. Okay. I'm going to get in trouble. I should stop. So when you have dreams and visions, I always have a yellow tablet next to my bed at night because when I have these things, I want to write them down. I had a dream one time about a man who's coming out of an ungodly lifestyle and uh, he was influenced by these demons. He'd been molested as a boy, all these different things. I had an incredibly detailed dream. I wrote down two or three pages worth of stuff. In the dream, this man's name was Sai. And uh, two or three weeks later, on a Wednesday night, a, a man named Sai came walking to the back door of our church. And I knew he was the one. And God had given me the story of his life in this dream. And he was on his way to get a sex change when he got saved. And so he came to church, and uh, we spent two years ministering to him. And as a result of the dreams, I knew exactly what strongholds were there, why they were there, how to deal with them, and process the entire thing. And so all of that happened as a result of a dream. And so trees represent, you know what sheep represent, we know what the shepherd represent. Fish represent souls. A fox represents a cunning person. A field represents the world. Tares represent sons of the evil one. Clouds represent people. Thorns represent demonic temptations. But on and on and on and on and on. There's scriptures that relate to these different symbols. And so one of the things I want to encourage you with, there are a few good dreams and vision books out there. I've got two of them, I think. And um, when somebody has a dream in our church, they bring it to us. They always have to write it down. Never walked up to me after church and asked me to interpret a dream. You have to write it down because I'm going to have to meditate on it, look on it, and really seek the Lord about it, okay? But anyway, we want to interpret those things. We want to understand those things, all right? Visions. I was in um, the Caribbean, not in the beautiful Caribbean that you go to. When I go there, I'm in the inner part of the island with the poor folks <laughs> and uh, hods that can be ministering to people. And I'm laying in this garage apartment. It's 1,000 degrees. It's 4 a.m., and I had a vision, and the vision was a demonic presence in my room. He called himself the god of the volcano. The island had a volcano on it. And he asked me what I was doing on his island and told me I had no authority to be on his island. And then he was bragging about how many children had been sacrificed to him on his island over the hundreds of years. And so all this stuff is going on, so there's warfare that went on all night. And so... I asked the Lord the next day, why is this demonic stronghold winning on this island? They hadn't seen anybody saved on, the, on that island in years and years and years. And the Lord said, it's because there's two pastors on the island and they're always in conflict with one another and it's given the enemy authority to hold back the church because of disunity. So anyway, I went the next day and I investigated the two churches, found out it was two brothers. And because of a family feud... They started two different churches. So I found the two brothers. I dragged them in, into an alley. <laughs> and we spent some, um, two hours dealing with stuff. And they finally repented. And that evening, 
we had us in the square we had a worship band in the square and the two brothers were there and I had them repent to the whole island and to all the villages they were all there and uh, they both repented and and then I preached the gospel and like 35 people got saved and I could I could feel in my spirit the guard of the island falling <laughs> okay and so understanding some of these things and why he had the authority on that island to stop any kind of a move of God. That island has been experiencing revival ever since that time. Okay. Yeah. And so dreams and visions are just amazing and, and they do happen. I had a dream one time about a, a girl that Stan had ended up having stay with he and his wife for a long time. In the dream, her name was Angel and she was a prostitute. And in this dream, I saw the abuse. I saw the clubs. I saw all this stuff. And so, not too long after that, I had written it all down. I met a woman, her name was Stephanie, and the Lord said, she's the one. And so we began to minister to Stephanie. She came into the kingdom of God. She got saved. And Stephanie was just amazing. She'd be sitting in my office. We'd begin to pray for her, and she would change from being Stephanie, who looked like a normal young woman, to ripping off her clothes and looking more like a prostitute. And the prostitutes, the name of the spirit in the dream was Angel. So I looked at her and I said, you're not Stephanie any longer, you're Angel. And before I could say anything, Angel reached out and slapped me as hard as she could across the face. Completely changed personalities. Everything about her changed. It took four men, a man sitting on each leg, men holding down her arms, for her to get deliverance. Foam was coming out of her mouth. I mean, this woman really got set free. Stan and his wife took her in, discipled her, prayed for her, ministered to her for I don't know how long, for years. And today she's married, has how many kids? Four kids, lives in Tennessee somewhere. Yeah, she's on a Colorado. And it's, it's an amazing story. And it all started with a dream. So God gives dreams because he wants to help people. So when I have one of these crazy dreams, which still happens, I have my tablet. Okay. And I have to write all this stuff down because I want to sleep the next night. Because <laughs> when you have these dreams, you do not go back to sleep. Okay, And so dreams and visions were used throughout the scripture. And uh, it's just an amazing thing. Um, it's a prophetic way that God uses to speak to his people. And so if you have a dream, write it down. Ask the Lord who it's for. A lot of the time it'll be for you. It might be for your family. I've had dreams about all of my children, my grandchildren, different things. Uh, it's just a wonderful thing, but I want to understand them, and I don't want to just run by them, <laughs> okay? And so when I go into an area, I often will pick up on the spirit, the stronghold in the area, and we'll have dreams about some of that stuff. I was in uh, Texas, and I was in a, staying in a hotel in Texas. I didn't know much about the town where I was going to be ministering, and I found out that I had another demonic thing appear in my room. This whole deal went on all night. And then I found out there was, it was a college town in the square of the city, one of those old, old towns with a square, with a little courthouse in the middle. There were more occult shops in the square of that city than I've ever seen before. And that entire area was a witch's coven. And so that's why I was having that thing manifest in my room. So dreams and visions are real. And uh, it's God's way of speaking to us, just another way of God talking to us. And um, do you have any questions about all that? Yes, my son.
demonic temptations. Oh, oh, uh, the scripture, thorns, yeah. So there's a lot of dream books out there, you guys. Uh, I, I, man, I'm very cautious about a lot of them. Some of the stuff they put in this, say, re this represents that. I just don't see it. There are some obvious things in the scripture, okay? Um, witches are all the time infiltrating New Testament churches, especially New Testament churches that have any kind of move of the spirit going so one time in our church, there was this lady, the Lord kept telling me, people kept telling me, Pastor Joe, there's a witch in the service. Nobody knew exactly who it was, but I just knew there was a witch there. And so I walked up to this lady one time, the Holy Spirit, and I'm just looking at this woman, the Holy Spirit said, command her to turn around. I didn't say it out loud, but my spirit, something in me rose up, and I said, in Jesus' name, turn around. And her head, like in a cartoon, <laughs> spun around. One side looked like a sheep, and the other side looked like a wolf. And she was the witch. So you should always ask me, which old witch? The wicked witch. Ding dong, the wicked witches. So, so anyway, but the enemy's all, all the time trying to infiltrate our churches. You'd be amazed at what goes on. Okay, recently there was a pastor, um, a good friend of ours, Rick Paladin. I'm sure he's been around here. Rick was playing tennis. He's played tennis for years. One day Rick went from playing tennis he went home, and all of a sudden, he couldn't walk. Ended up in the hospital, ended up having back surgery, never had a problem. All these things going on. And so it was just, it's been the, one of the incredible battles. I wept over it. And um, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to go to Pittsburgh. So I went up there where Rick was trying to discern what is going on with my friend. And I was just so grieved in my spirit over this. And um, I knew there was something demonic going on. And so anyway, we started investigating. And uh, three or four blocks from one of their churches, a witch's coven had moved in. We found them online. And their goal, stated vision, was to destroy local churches and attack, spiritually attack, local pastors. And they just started a coven, a house, built for that purpose, three blocks from this church. And the basement of the church is a very old building. The Lord said, there's something in the building. We went searching. There's this old furnace down there. It used to be a school. It was built in the early 1900s. Big old giant brick building, three-story thing. There was a statue of Molech in the basement by the old furnace. And so it's crazy some of the things that go on. People have things in their houses. There's a pastor's daughter Great girl. She was 18. I'd known her most of her life. Godly girl, good girl. All of a sudden, she went crazy. I mean, she went crazy. Hallucinations. Like, you just can't imagine. I mean, she freaked out, flipped out. Voorhees, New Jersey. And so I went up there trying to help her mom and dad. And, and I walked in the house. And the Lord said, I want you to go up into her bedroom. And I went up into her room. And I'm looking around. And there was a mirror. And I mean, it was beautiful. And I looked closely, more closely at the mirror, and I said, how long have you had the mirror? And she'd been going crazy hallucinations for about three months. She said, about three months. I looked at the mirror. Her grandfather was a 21st-degree mason. Carved into the mirror were all these Masonic symbols in the wood. So we, you know, we, we got rid of that. We tried to burn it. wouldn't burn. I finally got a torch and burnt it. And uh, when we did that, she got set free. What you bring into your home can bring the presence of the enemy. 
Okay? And so discernment of spirits, dreams, visions, operating in the supernatural realm, the prophetic things, it's a big deal in the kingdom of God. So that girl's doing great today. <laughs> okay? And so there was a prophecy in the early 90s all over our nation. The Lord kept speaking the same thing. In the last days, the demonic is coming into our homes through screens. And what it meant was television and computer screens. That's why I don't like the screen behind me. It scares me. But, <laughs> but that the demonic was going to find entry into people's homes through what they were viewing. And I'm telling you, the amount of pornography going on in people's homes, the amount of occult stuff on television and movies going on in people's homes that people are allowing in their homes. There is a book. You can find it on Peter Wagner's website called Ridding Your House of Spiritual Darkness, one of the best books on the subject I've ever seen, very practical, how to make sure that your house is clean. I think I've used more than 15 minutes. I need to stop. Any questions about all that stuff? Yes, ma'am. I think fivefold ministry represents the government of God. So it's always been my goal in our local church, uh, my prayer to have all fivefold gifts in our church. Uh, my primary gift, obviously, is the prophetic. And you know what? I am not a teacher. I do not, uh, I do not study on the level that a teacher like Kevin would study. I do not have the knowledge that a teacher would have. So we need teachers in our midst. Okay? I'm not an evangelist. I'm just not. I've led a lot of the people to the Lord, but I'm not. And so we have evangelists who are in our midst. When I think about studying, this just kills Kevin. You know how I study? Okay, I'm good. <laughs> but, but I think that the goal should be to have as much fivefold ministry in the church that you can have. That's my, I, I think, Kevin. No, I, I, I think uh, that that would be optimum. Uh, for a local church to have uh, genuine representation from all of those five offices. I do think uh, there's a couple of options that are biblical and viable. Uh, number one is um, in, in a church that you can be involved in a network. That's one option where those are represented and obviously input that local church. And um, I personally... I'm getting on the same wavelength with uh, Bishop that I think that God has something to say to cities and government exists in cities. And I think that if ministers could actually learn to uh, trust and be trustworthy, that within a city it would be easily distinguished uh, with that fivefold representation, which could strengthen everyone. Uh, but I understand that opens incredible cans of, of challenge that need to be addressed. But the, your point is well taken. It, a church needs all of that in order to fulfill. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 need, need to happen in order for 13 through 16 to manifest in the life of the church. Yeah. Yeah, so networks make that viable as well. But, I, but, but even with the network basis, which I totally agree, it, you, you get that kind of hit and miss. So, but, but these are the reformation items. When we talk reformation, these are the things that have to be reformed. 
and and unfortunately when you're watching reformation it's like it's like making sausage you know it's not pretty you may not have all five in your church but you can have a relationship yes with one of these yes churches. absolutely Absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Any any other comments or questions that this is a uh, this is an incredible area. We were just you know, we we're looking at all these notes and I feel overwhelmed looking at it all and saying, Is there anything we'd like to cover before uh, before we're done? You know, timing is everything in a person's life prophetically. Uh, I, why don't I just take a couple minutes and talk about timing for just a moment. Um, I've had people be frustrated because most of us, when uh, we feel like we got a promise from God or a word from God, that we, you know, we want to see it happen as quickly as possible. And uh, that's how it feels, doesn't it? It feels like he's late or he's wasting our time. Um, and I have whole messages on God's conception of time. You understand Jesus is coming soon, right? Paul said that. So you know what God's conception of soon is. A, a long time. A day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. I only use that as an illustration because even in the prophetic word, when people begin to speak words to you such as soon, and we think, oh, it's got to be close. Well, keep in mind what, what that may mean in God's economy of time. Uh, timing's everything. And the thing we don't get, and it's, and it's hard even for me to this day, what we don't get is that God is not pushed by a clock. That God is not linked to a clock the way we are. In fact, I, I teach that the clock was a part of the curse. The clock wasn't even in the equation until death entered into the picture. There was no time. Time was meaningless. We were built to live forever. And then as soon as death entered into the equation, then time enters into the equation because now we have not just our birth date, but we have a death date. And now everything is quantified. I'm, and that's what we say. We say to ourselves, I am running out of time. And, uh, and so we want God to get on with it. But understand, you know, Moses was 80 years into it before his, the fullness of his destiny comes to pass. I mean, you've heard these stories. Joseph was in a cave, or, uh, a prison, uh, and uh, in slavery for probably somewhere close to 20 years before the destiny that he, that he heard when he was uh, a 17-year-old, thereabouts, um, came to pass. Uh, time is not an issue to God. Abraham and Sarah, uh, their body's dead, and yet God was able to bring the promise to pass. And so uh, we share these things because a prophetic word has the great capacity to encourage you, and I've also found it has the great capacity to frustrate you. Because a lot of times if it's being confirmed, as you said, rightly so, you're saying, okay, it's being confirmed again. I'm believing it, Lord. And, and the, the process that God wants to use in order to manifest that, I remind people, he's creating a character in you. See, God can bring destiny to pass like that. He can, he can just like that. But he can't produce character in you like that. And he's more... He's more connected to your character to becoming Christ-like than he is just handing destinies out. You know, my view with my kids were but that, that I was more concerned with them being mature, safe, attentive, skilled, 
proven drivers before I threw them their own car keys. So just to throw them car keys and say, go take a drive is signing a death warrant. And, and I want you to hear this. God has great destinies for some of you in this room. And if he just took out the car keys and he threw the car keys to you and said, here's your destiny. The first thing you'd do with it is you'd start your destiny up and go yeehaw and wrap it around a tree. That's what, that, exactly, that's what exactly we do because you've not taken any exams. You've not taken any tests. You've not been under anybody's tutelage. You haven't gone to driving school. And now you want to go drive your car. And all of us in this room can relate to this, especially as we get older and we have kids, because when we're teenagers, we, we're ready for the car keys. But as we get older, we kind of recognize, oh, I'm not sure they need that. Hear me, this is what the Lord sees with his church. He wants to give his church authority. He wants to give his church a destiny. He wa See, I've said this for years. We want to run nations, and we can't exercise dominion over our eyeballs. And yet we think we're ready to run nations. We can't, we can't, we can't loose ourselves from offenses, but we're ready, but boy, we're ready to run nations. And yet somebody will overlook you and you'll get offended, but you think you can run a nation. Well, I don't think so. And that's what God's doing. He's growing us up. Now, the destinies are true, but, but he's working on us. So, so he's working on you. He's bringing these things to pass. Plus, he's, this is the amazing part about God. He's orchestrating a million scenarios, maybe a billion scenarios. Can you imagine? Every, because you and I, we all have these destinies, and they're all interacted, and they're woven together. And how's God? And he's, and he's doing all of this. And that's remarkable. God is busy. Do you realize how busy the Lord must be? only in the sense of that there's a lot of pieces that are moving and you're a piece of it and he's concerned about it but you need to understand that if it doesn't happen 24 hours from now it may be that there's some other pieces moving exactly all prophecy is conditional so tonight we're going to gather again at six o'clock we do this because those that have children that way we can we can tarry appropriately before the Lord and uh, we can be out in good time and you can still get everybody to bed in time and be back to church at 10.30 Sunday morning. We pray actually here at, uh, what is it, 9, 9.45 we start praying, 9.40, we start praying. But service starts at 10.30 on Sunday morning and then 6 o'clock next Sunday night as well. So uh, we appreciate you taking the time to come out. Uh, this morning and uh, hope it's been helpful to you and encouragement to you and uh, tonight we're just going to hear what God's saying to us probably have opportunity for some more ministry we'll see what the Lord does and uh, I'm excited about what's being imparted into the life of the church can you say amen, amen. now I'm going to ask I'm, I'm putting Wally on the spot all the time because I see you I know Ed's here but we're receiving offerings at every service and I've got offerings that I brought with me so I want to make sure they get received and again, I'm just saying we just rely on God and the generosity of God's people. So these guys are going to be at the doors, and you can hug their neck. If, if you're giving every service grade, if you're just going to drop a check in at the end, that's great. If you're just not at a place where you can do it, we understand, and others will be able to make it up. But everybody just ask the Lord what you need to do because we want to care for our guests, and we appreciate them being here. So let's stand, and uh, I'm going to pray. And then we'll dismiss and we can fellowship a little bit maybe even before we go.